Let's pray before we dive in any further. Just want to say thank you, Lord, again for your presence and for your love. Thank you so much, God, for being good all the time. And we just give you these next just few minutes as we look to your word to instruct us, to transform us, mold us. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray, and everybody said amen and amen. Hey, I want to do something really quick before I get started. I have a whiteboard here, obviously. Excuse me. What I want us to do, a little crowd participation, is I want some characteristics of what you think a good dad would be. Not all at once, though. Someone help me out. All right, so we had, um, we had patient. Huh. We had fun. What else? Oh, come on. Believer. Sacrificial. Whoa, you guys are going way too fast. <laughs> Available. Persevering. Persevering. Spell it. Just kidding. <laughs> Loving. Fast rider. Fast rider. <laughs> <laughs> Forgiving, guiding. These are goodies. Provider. Leader. Huh? Consistent. That's a good one. What a comforting. I like that. That's decent. So an example. Can I that sub? I'll just do role model since you were brisky enough to say it out loud. Role model. What else? Good husband, listener. Trusting. Someone said a listener as well. Kind discipline. I like that distinction. What's that? Self-control. So now what we're going to do is we're going to have an altar call because no one can live up to this list. So if all the men would come forward, we... uh, I thought, I I sensed that the Lord wanted me to do this exercise for a very specific reason. And here it is. The reason we preach the gospel every week at Cornerstone Church is because of this list. The gospel is good news that what is required of us is not possible with our own power or ability, but through the gospel, we can grow in patience. When I see that the little children found Jesus were irresistible, I can grow, I can loosen the belt a little bit and have a little bit of fun. I don't have to be so so tightly wound. When I see that Jesus took the time that even when his disciples were a bunch of knuckleheads to teach them and then explain it to them again and then again and again, the gospel gives me hope that maybe I could grow as a father. When I realized that 
Jesus believed that his father would always be what he needed. It gives me courage as a dad to want to be a better believer, but it's only when I see and realize it's the gospel that transforms me, not by looking at a list and feeling guilty and leaving and thinking, man, I'm glad I came on Father's Day. When I realized that there was nothing, and why am I comparing Jesus with the Father? Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John 10, 30, the reason we even know what the Father is like is because Jesus is the exact imprint, Hebrews 1, 2, and 3, of the Father. So Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, can say things like, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And when I realized that there was no lengths to which Jesus went to sacrificially love me, again, not at my best, but at my lowest, I can grow as a dad in that sacrificial kind of love, but it's only through the gospel. When I realized that it was Jesus who had the gut-wrenching compassion over an entire nation and over an entire world, that I too can grow in empathy and sympathy with those that God's called me to raise and disciple, even when they're rugrats, I can grow in compassion. When I realize that Jesus has made heaven an open, available reality 24 and seven, I realize that man, I can grow a little bit in availability. I can take my work a little bit less seriously and realize there's things that are more important than more stuff or more presence, and it's more presence. I can't read my own writing there. Persevering, who did that one pretty good? Hebrews, Hebrews 12, he didn't, he didn't love his life so much as to shrink back. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He persevered all the way, didn't quit. Loving, we don't have to even talk about that one because he's the best. Forgiving, God and Christ loved us and he forgave us all of our sins. They didn't count our sins against us. Second Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. My point is, I wanted to write this list and to say, dads and grandpas, I wanna preach the gospel to you that there's hope for all of us because the gospel is good news of God's grace that takes us from our selfish state where we look at a list like this and say, there's no way. And he says, I'll show you the way. I am the way, but you can't do any of it, dad or grandpa, apart from me, and that's why we preach the gospel, because the gospel is the connector from God to humanity. It's the good news in Christ that what has been our story or the story of your father or his father before him, that there can be a new story written in your life and through your life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is hope that there's forgiveness, that God and Christ has provided everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, that he is the only leader who was the perfect example, that he's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8, right, somebody? That he is the comforter, the God of all comfort, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he is the role model that we're to imitate, and I want you to know today, all of you, men or women, the good news of the gospel is that this is a inside out transformational journey. That God starts to change us as we see what he's done for us in Christ and as we continue to look and continue to receive, I'm telling you, the long work of transformation begins and it's sustained by perpetually looking and realizing the links to which God has gone to love us and to transform us and change us. And so what do we do when we don't live up to this standard? 
Oh, I wasn't going to ask a question, but yeah, go ahead. Raise your hand. Take a shot. Nice. Yeah. So going to him first with our judgments, checking in to see if it lines up with his character, his nature, and his heart. Thank you for sharing that. That's good. That's really good. Well, I'll answer our other question that I asked. That was a great response. What do we do when we don't live up to this? Fathers, did you know that you and I have to be fathered first? And there's a story that illustrates maybe most poignantly what our father is really like in Gospel of Luke chapter 15. So if you turn your Bibles there, we're going to work our way through this story. Very, very familiar. But resist the urge to try to finish this sentence and ask the Holy Spirit to give you fresh eyes and fresh ears and a fresh heart to see and to hear Luke chapter 15, I believe starting with verse 15. Verse 11, I'm sorry. How many know what this story is called? Anyone know what this story is called? It's been called a lot of things, the prodigal sons, the prodigal God, the prodigal father. Most of us have heard of it as the prodigal son. This is a, how many have seen this rendition of this parable? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Rembrandt's prodigal son. If it was a little bit darker and a little bit bigger, you might be able to see just the unbelievable. How many know sometimes pictures are worth way more than a thousand words? I'm working on my master's right now, and for one class, we had to stare at this thing for seven minutes and then write our reflection. And you notice a lot of things when you actually sit down and are silent and you look. But just a beautiful, you can Google it later and check it out um, for yourself. What do we do as dads or fathers or mentors, and this applies to everyone, uh, man, woman, boy, and girl. Um, what do we do when we, we look at a list like this and we think, no way will we realize that there is someone who embodies all of this and that through Christ we can be connected to him? Are you tracking with me? And so let's just go through this story briefly. Just a tremendous story that illustrates the love of the Father. Um, you're gonna have to clear the background. I, can't, I don't have control over it down here. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, and all of us have said this, whether with our words or our actions, Father, give me, someone say, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, obviously, you've heard probably this sermon preached a hundred times, so I'll be brief. Maybe you haven't. But to say to a father in the culture in which Jesus lived, give me my share of the estate, is to tell your father you're dead to me. Because when do you get inheritances from your family? Father, you're dead to me. Give me what's rightfully mine. So no matter what your relationship with your dad was like, I want you to know the gospel is good news for you. There's no one who has been more heinous or more um, just selfish than even the story Jesus is telling. And Jesus is telling us 
my love is more powerful than your selfishness and your rebellion. Come on, that is good news. Father, you're as good as dead to me, so give me what is rightfully mine. As far as I'm concerned, from here on out, you are dead to me. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and so the reality is this, is that the, the property, the estate that the father gave him, clearly the younger son has to liquidate so he's got cash to go and spend it. Are you tracking with me? So not only is the father dead to him, now what the father once had as far as an estate or land is divided and someone other than a family member owns what was once the father's. Are you tracking with me? So it just goes deeper. He's selfish and now he's bringing shame to his father in front of his whole family, in front of the whole community. And he set off for a distant country and there he squandered all of his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everyone, everything, has anyone been there? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So here's the revelation here, fathers or sons or daughters, wherever you're at today, I want you to know that whenever we choose and go outside of the Father for our identity, our provision, our security, um, for uh, just even our, our, um, the compass of our life, the leadership, the governance of our life, when we go outside of Father God, <clears throat> and when we call the shots and we liquidate and we spend what is meant to be used as worship and furthering the Father's agenda on ourselves and we buy into the lie that the world revolves around us, it always leads us to a distant place, and it always ends in drought. Can I get an amen? <laughs> in fact, not just a drought, but a severe famine in that whole country. How many have ever, you don't have to raise your hand or say amen unless you want to, had to taste the fruit of their own rebellion? Anyone? It's a severe famine, and it doesn't just affect you, it affects the whole country, your whole life. And maybe you're here today, and you're like, my dad, this describes him perfectly, and then you swore you would never, but then you found yourself following in his footsteps. I want you to know that there is a way out, a new way offered to you through the gospel today, that he can help you do the hard work of forgiving and then moving forward in your rightful inheritance and identity as a son or a daughter today. But it always ends in a distant drought famine, totally hopeless. And how many know it doesn't take long to go from liquidating all that was ours until there is nothing and we have a need? It just takes some longer than others. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You know a little bit, probably a Bible background, that's about as low as you can go as a young Jewish man feeding pigs. You've known that. And I want you to know that sin, when it says that the wages of sin, which is to say missing the mark and not even aiming at the right target, aiming at yourself, violating God's known law and command and word, I want you to know that sin is not just death someday, a la an eternity separated from God, but it is death all along the way. The wages of sin, the revelation I, I had uh, years ago was, uh, you know, how many know you draw wages, some of us, how many are twice a month? You get an automatic deposit or something. So when, when God, when Jesus is saying, 
Um, when Paul is saying in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, what he's saying is that's not just something you someday reap, but when we go outside of Father God and we live for ourselves, the wages of sin, you draw on death perpetually when you're drawing from a source other than God. They're wages. And even as... God and his grace, mercy, and love have no end to the reservoir and the reserve of his goodness and mercy, so death, hell, and the grave have no end as well. And so it's not like you can just keep going, going, going. You can keep going further and further away from God, but God is, is, is saying you don't have to because of the grace that I poured out through Jesus. So he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs, so this is going lower, right? Eating, now he's not just hanging with pigs, he's eating their food, or he wants to eat their food. Oh, no matter where you're at today, in your lowest place, God and Christ has gone lower. Did you know that? Did you know when it says in Ephesians 4, 6, and 7, that God and Christ has descended, and it says the same thing in several other places, that God in Christ has descended literally into Hades, the depths, the realm of death. God in Christ has already gone there. So I want you to know, no matter how low or far or distant you sense and feel and how desperate your situation today, God in Christ has already been there. He's gone there. He's gone there. And all too often in our desperation, we don't immediately reach for God. We think to ourselves, we got ourselves in the mess, so we got to get ourselves out of the mess. And let me tell you, that's like gospel 101, lie. You can't, if you made the mess, logically you can't clean up your own mess that you made. It doesn't work that way. How many of you have ever had a kid try to clean up themselves? That's not funny. No one's had that happen where the kid tried to clean up themselves and then we think we got here so we got to get out. And I want you to know this oftentimes, almost always makes a bigger mess and the hole that we're stuck in deeper. And if not leading to God, desperation always leads to despair. Have you been there? Have you been there? When he came to his senses, read that with me again. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Has anyone ever been... Um, have you caught yourself doing this sort of script narrative when you've made a mess of your life and what you think God wants to hear and what you need to say? Has anyone ever done a rehearsal speech like that about God? All of us have. All of us, um, oh, if I just say the right string of words, and I want you to know it's not a formula. God knows all about the depths to which our sin has taken us, and so he doesn't need our excuses. He just needs our repentance. Right? So we, we cannot assume, and, and, and the reality is this, is that when he came to his senses, I want you to see this right here, um, men and women, boys and girls, we do not in our own selves come to our senses. That is like sign number one of the goodness of God when you come to your senses. 
Did you know that? That the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so the, the, the reality is that today, if the, if the conviction and the, the awakening of your senses is, is brought, to your, um, brought on your plate or on your radar today, do not make light of that. We don't choose when we come to God. We've got to be awakened to our need for God. And when that happens, what we do with it is really, really important. Coming to our senses is not always inevitable. Has, has anyone ever seen that where you think, oh, they'll just come to their senses they'll just, and you just keep saying, well, maybe they'll just, maybe they'll just, maybe they'll, and that's why we say, when this young man comes to his senses, something's happening at home, probably on a front porch with a father who's sitting, waiting, probably contending, praying that his son would come to his senses. And I want you to know, dads or grandpas, no matter what your kin is like, your family, Prayer is not the last resort, it is your first resort to begin to contend and to believe whether your sons or your daughters or your grandchildren are far from God. I'm telling you, it is not just a a given that they'll come to their senses, but the Father wants to partner with your Father's heart for your children and sons and daughters, and He wants to answer the prayer that they will come to their senses and have a moment of clarity and be able to choose something different from what they're eating. Coming to your senses is not inevitable. It is an evidence of the grace of God being released over rebellious, sinful humanity. What is beautiful here is the son does not ignore his senses, and he says, all right, I'm going to go cut a deal with my father. Don't call me a son. Call me a servant. Has anyone been there? I want you to know that what grace can do in refashioning, reforming, renewing your very core identity is more powerful than any sin, any addiction that you've ever dabbled in, that the grace of God is more powerful today. And he doesn't want to receive you, sir or ma'am, back as a servant His grace is more powerful than just getting you in the door. He wants you at his table. And so the son says, okay, I'll go back, but I won't go back as a son. I'll go back as a servant. I love this next verse. Read it with me. So he got up and went to his father. And I want to say that this might be, I argue, one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. And how many know this is happening all over the world even as I speak? How many know it can happen for you today? You can get up and go to the Father. That was what what was once an, an impossible journey going from our sin and rebellion to become presentable and undefiled. What was once an unscalable journey has now been made available through Jesus. So he got up and went to his father. This is what repentance looks like. A little teaching moment here. I was so afraid growing up when I was 16, 17, 18, sort of maybe till I was 19, I was so afraid of breaking God's heart that when I stumble or fell, 
the whiplash of stumbling was hours leading to days of heaped on guilt to try to get myself back into the good graces of my father. And I want you to know there was nothing you could do to get in his good grace and there's nothing that you can do no matter the stumble or the fall to get you back into the good grace. That's why it's called grace. And I struggled for years. I would walk well with God and then I, would, then I would sin or I would stumble or I would fall and I would live under this weight and I would think that God needed me to go back to the pig pen and to suffer a little while and experience famine before he received me back. And I want you to know that is not the gospel, that is a lie. Fathers, what if you and I, when our kids blew it, what if they knew that they didn't have to run for a season, but they could just run right to us? How many know that if our kids' trigger response when they dabbled in something they shouldn't be was to run to us, we would be on a good path towards raising mature and full, flourishing individuals? But if our culture and our home is one of fear and it's cold and we don't repent of our own sins in front of, in front of our children, fathers and dads and grandpas, we've got to lead the charge on humble repentance so our kids know it's okay when they stumble, they can come to dad. And I had to have that lie broken off of my life. I just lived, I don't know if I'm talking to anyone today, but, but when he get up, I just want you to know, no matter what, you can always get up and go to your father. You can always get up. It doesn't bring your father glory. Look at this next passage. When he was a long way off, um, the father runs and he was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. What did he do? He ran, he threw his arms and he kissed all over him. And then you, I love this. Look at this. Uh, whoa, hold on. Not that. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he starts on his rehearsal speech. And I want you to know, it brings God no glory when you dwell in your own darkness and sin. And you just keep rehashing it and reliving it. He wants you to name it and then to move on and receive his mercy. The father doesn't even let, and by the way, look at the sequence, what happened before he could even get a word out, just because he saw the posture of his son. And I want you to know God sees your heart, no matter how hard or difficult of a time you're having. Walking in righteousness is not an easy path. Can I get an amen? But your father sees the bent and the movement of your heart. And before you ever will ever do it perfectly, the father, every time you're on that road to him, meets you like this with compassion, with arms wide open, and with a big old slobbery kiss for you. The implication here, dads is, and moms and everyone, but it's just the father, so it's Father's Day, you know. When I want you to know, there's no place on this world that is further than the gaze of our Father. There's not one square inch on the map that you could go today that a Father who's filled with compassion can't see where you're at. He sees, he sees. He can see really, really far, and he can see really, really good, and what he sees is always 100% accurate. So there's no sense in hiding and goofing around or joking like you're something you're not because he sees you, and he sees you with, because the eyes are the lamp of the body, this is all just coming right now, the eyes are the lamp, so he sees you with compassion. Compassion's what's burning on the inside. 
Remember when Moses asked God to reveal his glory to him in Exodus 34? Anyone? Bible scholar, nerds like me. Not scholar, but nerd. God told Moses, I'm going to have to hide you because I'm so radiant. But when I pass in front of you, I'm going to declare my name. And you can just study name equals nature. Your name reveals the character, the conduct. The, it, the name was synonymous with who you were. And how many know the first word that God releases when he speaks his name to Moses is what? In Exodus 34. Well, I thought someone would know it. I'm sorry. I'm not guilting you. Let me tell you what it says here. I'm not checking the score because there's no sports worth watching right now. At least until October for all you baseball fans. The Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of generations and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So the name Thousands of years before Jesus tells the story, or hundreds of years before he tells the story. I think Jesus pretty well depicts what our Father is like. He's full of compassion. And I love it. The Son tries to eke out his speech, as we already talked about, but God wants us to name it. Don't mishear Pastor Chad. Well, God doesn't care about my sins. No, no, no. Name it and then receive his pardon and then move on. Do you hear me? You raking yourself through your mess is your own doing, not the Father's. He has no pleasure in raking you through your own mess. He wants you to live not as someone who perpetually starts a prayer with, I'm sorry. He wants you to enter prayer with our Father. He, listen, there is a place for, uh, there's a place every moment, every day for having a repentant, humble demeanor, but it brings him no glory for you to spend more time on what you've done than on what he's done in and through his son, Jesus. That was a good one right there. I like that one. So he embraces his son. I love this. He runs. Uh, is everyone doing okay? Your barbecue's not going to get burnt. He runs, so he breaks the cultural norm as a distinguished elder in his town. This is our father. How many love an undignified father? Who's got an undignified dad and you didn't have any like, choice in the matter? <laughs> so the father, on his way to loving us, on his way to loving us, he breaks every cultural mold and he says, you know what? I can't resist. You're my child and I love you. So he runs, he breaks the cultural norm of an elder in a town, and then he embraces, so he breaks every expectation from those in the surrounding community because you don't embrace the one who divided your estate and just told you the last word you heard from him was essentially, I wish you were dead. He embraces, come on somebody, so, and then he kisses the son, which this is like the epitome of self-effacement, to embrace, to run, and then to kiss and that's why I love Rembrandt's picture. The, you can just see the muddy, stinky, piggy. And I want you to know this is what sin does. But the fragrance of your father and the, the warmth of his embrace and the pace in which he comes after you when he runs and then that kiss. The father has no worry about some reputation to maintain when it means loving you and showing you how important and special you are to him. 
And just boom, boom, boom. He just goes from self-effacement, self-effacement, self-effacement. If it means them coming back home, there's no links to which I'll go. So as the son is on the you know, middle of his speech, I'm no longer, to, you know, wait, he didn't even get to that part. Yeah, he did. I'm no longer to be, cur- I can just see the father. Quick, someone say quick. Yeah. Listen, this is us. Lord, you know, I'm just, I can't live up to this list that all the church said, so you can't be mad at Pastor Chad. This is your list. I can't. And right when we're slumping our shoulders, wanting to, you know, talk more about us and our mess, the father interrupts our little self-pity procession. He says, you know what? It's time for a party. <laughs> Bring the best robe. Who do you think owned the best robe of the owner of the estate? Thank you, Patty. Gold star in heaven. So not any old robe will do for this son who's made a mess of my reputation, who's shamed me before my whole entire community, and who essentially called me dead. But he came to his senses He responded to his senses, the awakening that I released in the pig trough, and now he's home, and he just tried to do this speech about trying to negotiate, well, now I've got to pay back some of what I've wasted on sin, and he's saying, no, you you can't earn it. It's called grace, and he puts a robe on him and a ring and sandals and a calf, and they celebrate because the son of mine was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, and he was found. And fathers, I'm telling you, you know, we could read books about how to be good dads, but I just think we should just be like this father. And the only way we can become like this father is to look to and believe in the son of the father who perfectly embodied everything the father was about. And so again, we need the gospel towards this transformation journey, realizing that this is what the father's like. talk about the older son next week it's late so we'll stop there he's not only restored to his father this is such good news but he's restored to the community how many know I mean unless you're the Bohai family a fattened calf I love that it says fattened How many know that can feed a whole host of a lot of people? I want you to know that grace is so powerful. It doesn't just restore you and your individual relationship, just you and God. It restores us together to God. That deserved a bigger applause than that because... And I want you to know that even if your earthly father was ashamed of you, or you live under the weight of that condemnation, I want you to know that there is a father today who is not ashamed of you and he loves you. And he doesn't ignore your mess. He's just, his grace is more powerful than your mess if you'll just come to him. And he wants to restore you. He wants to restore you today. The bummer is, is, you know, in days like this, is some of us, we all come from a different story. We have different baggage, different 
It's so hard to preach where it hits everyone, but that's the Holy Spirit's job. I tried my best. But the good news for all of us, all of us, is that through Christ, there is a Father who who favorably looks upon us. And as we come to this Father in whatever state we're in, through his Son, he is not ashamed to call us sons and daughters. That is so good news. That's... He's not ashamed of you today. He's not ashamed of you today. And you and I thinking that it somehow brings him glory to perpetually play the reel of our failure, of our lack, of how much we don't live up to. There is a greater story that he wants us to buy into, and it's the story called grace. Grace does not ignore sin, it's just, it's more powerful than it. And I don't know if there's any dads here specifically, I'm calling you out, who need to receive that grace today. This story, we're going to, maybe we'll finish the next half next week. Um, It's good news. It's really good news. How many know that our father that Jesus is telling us about here, he sort of possesses all of these? And I'm convinced that the way to get better is by believing that there's one who embodies all of this and that by believing I can overcome one step at a time. And by believing I have access to every spiritual blessing That blessing as a father is never just for yourself, it's for your family, for your kids, for all of those around you. And that's available to us today. So dads, can I just have, dads or grandpas, can I specifically just have you stand? I want to pray a blessing over you. If you're here as a dad or a grandpa or a mentor, I'm not leaving women out, I'm not trying to be, but you know, we just get one special day a year, so just kidding. Every day is special. And I just want to pray this blessing. God, we just stand as as dads and grandpas and uncles, mentors today, first and foremost, as needy recipients of your grace. Lord, we're not that great as men acknowledging that need, but Lord, That's why we come to church as a family, because we can be honest and say, you know what, I need grace today. And so the first thing I want us to do, man, is just to say together, just say, Lord Jesus, I receive your grace today. Yeah. And then, Lord, I pray that as we stand as, as men that we ourselves would experience what it means to be fathered by a good father. Lord, we, we honor the dads or the people over us, and we choose to forgive where they didn't get it right because none of them do every time. But Lord, we say today that through that grace we just received, that we ourselves can be fathered by a loving, 
perfect father who disciplines us so that we can share in his goodness and holiness. And so, Father, would we be fathered by you? And then, Lord, I just pray right now for these men that are standing, that, Lord, we would be men who would learn moment by moment to abide in Jesus, and that through Jesus, we have access to everything on this whiteboard. Through Jesus, we can grow in patience and humility. Through Jesus, we can grow in kindness and sacrificial love. Through Jesus, we can grow in being a listener. Through Jesus, we can grow in what it means to be someone who doesn't discipline out of anger, but who disciplines out of a kind and gentle spirit, knowing our kids. We want them to know they can run to us in their mess. And Father, I just pray blessing upon blessing upon blessing to these that are standing here today. And I ask God that this would be a a new day for so many of us in our own families, in our own workplaces, and the network of our relationships, that God, we would believe that there is a Father that Jesus showed us through this story who loves us and receives us and loves us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Could the rest of you stand? I just wanna... I want to just say this blessing over all of us, and then I'm going to sing a song, but you don't have to stay for it if you don't want to, but it's my favorite song in the whole world, and I won't be sad because I know it's almost 1130. I want to just say this verse. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And then when you're quiet, he will rejoice over you with singing. (laughs) He wants to quiet us with his love. And in that place, he wants to rejoice over us with singing. So may you experience that love that causes all the competing voices that vie for your attention, your focus, your affection to be silenced. And may you receive his love today. And then may you hear that song that he sings as a father who rejoices over you, that you're not a mistake your treasure to him. Is that good enough to receive? Can you say amen? Amen. Amen.